Girl, he reads from these journals he kept when he was a principal. Uncut and uncensored. Putting all his business in the street. The podcast, Ruthless Equity. The name, Ken Williams. Wow. Outside of Miss Fitzgerald, who is somewhat mildly annoying, this was another relatively smooth day. This past year, if I wasn't bombarded with students in the office or being in the middle of super loud hallways, I would have thought that I'd gotten lucky today. Now I've had a third day of relative calm, and a part of me is thinking that it's because learning is going on in the classrooms. Hey, listen, I have revamped my professional development offerings. You can find them at unfoldthesoul.com. Touch the speaking tab. I've got two new offerings. The first is the three-hour virtual PD experience with me. And then the second is the in-person PD experience. Notice I don't call these presentations or workshops because I don't know. No, but I do know. I've gotten to a point in my career. One, my confidence is at an all-time high. I know equity like no one else. I know how to make it practical, tangible, meaningful. I know I could turn those states around who have foolishly banned equity from uh, any of their policies. I can help districts that have policies around equity, but they're spinning in circles, having conversations that don't lead to any kind of improvement in student learning. I can move your district from PLC light to PLC right because I explain PLCs like no one else. I simplify it. It's authentic. I can take all those moving parts that are swirling around you, all the moving parts and make them make sense. If you are interested in Advancing your mission of learning for all. Advancing your mission of equity, excellence, and achievement for all students, regardless of background. If you're a fan of ruthless equity and um, want to move your staff or district forward with it, get at a brother now. Go to my site. Go to my page, unfoldthesoul.com. It reminds me of, it reminds me of that book I read. It's called, uh, uh, reminds me of of nothing nothing and i got 950,000 1100 books behind me right now on this shelf and some of them are great but none of them are like ruthless equity ruthless equity is a book like no other explains equity like no other speaks to you like no other the coach on your shoulder the guide on your side to move you from rhetoric to results regarding your journey with equity Pick up a copy of Ruthless Equity at Amazon.com. If you are a fan, you've read it, take a minute, please, and leave a review on Amazon.com. Now, back to the podcast. All right, baby, let's get into this. First, I have to apologize for the uh, tardiness of this episode. I have to tell you, man, I was uh, tempted to not do one this week because you can probably hear in my voice that it's somewhat shot. I left that buttery baritone 
in Duncan, Oklahoma, in the toilet of the Hampton Inn, because I was on the road two days ago. Arrived at Duncan, Oklahoma um, in the evening, had a nice dinner, got back to my hotel, and I'm not sure when it happened, but someone passed me, generously passed me, a stomach bug that took over my life. Um, I've had back pain, I've had this pain. There's nothing like nausea. Nothing like nausea. I mean, it always makes me think of and empathize with people who are fighting cancer and going through chemotherapy. Because I I always know it's gonna be a 24 hour bug, but those 24 hours are just excruciating. I, for the third time in 16 years, I had to cancel an event. Um, and being sick on the road was just harrowing. I mean, I, I, I tell you, I don't know if you've ever watched those prison shows where, you know, cats in there have done committed heinous crimes and then all of a sudden they find Jesus, they find religion, you know, they're reading the Bible from cover to cover and know the Quran and become Muslim and whatever you want to call it. That's how I felt there. I was talking to God a lot. Lord, I'm going to stop talking about people. I'm going to stop people watching, even though some of it is genetic and in my DNA from my grandmother who watched people and went to church. Lord, I'm going to go to church more. I mean, I found Jesus eight, nine, ten times. It was horrific. I was in such bad shape that upon telling my host, she and my assistant had a conversation and my host dropped off medicine to the hotel and left it at the front desk for me. Lisha Elroy, you are awesome. You're an angel on earth. That's how bad it was. I needed a prescription just to get back home. I got home late last night. You know, my plan was to record the podcast, but there was just no way that was gonna happen. I didn't sleep a wink the night before, and so I'm here. And that's why this episode is late, and that's why I sound like I've got a couple of elves uh, wreaking havoc in my throat, so I apologize. This was a really short entry, but for me, it it packs a lot. It, It really does. And it packs a lot based on what I've been experiencing a lot working with schools. And that is, it makes me wonder, a few years ago, man, we made Carol Dweck a multimillionaire you know, based on her masterful book, Mindset. And for a few years there, man, you you couldn't walk past a school building without seeing growth mindset posters and growth mindset versus fixed mindset, what growth, what growth mindset means. But you know, I love what I do. I do my life's work. I love educators, I love education. But if you know me or have worked with me, I don't pull no punches. And, um, and I don't blow sunshine off your back. I want us to be great. So I coach. And one thing I've noticed, man, is has growth mindset gone out of style? Because I think we're one of the worst industries at, I'm not going to say throwing in the towel because that's not what we do. But we are great at at deeming matters to be helpless before we even get started. Helpless, hopeless. I've been on this thing lately when I do professional learning with schools and districts, and I've been asking this question. Let's say you go to a grand opening. 
Well, I'll use a couple of examples. Here's one. If you're familiar with the restaurant chain Chick-fil-A, here's here's what the facts are. They have the slowest food times. They are closed on Sundays, and all they do is print money. They've got a service culture that is second to none, and I've never seen one close. So when I work with audiences that are familiar with Chick-fil-A, I say to them, hey, a new Chick-fil-A is opening. How do you think they'll do? And everyone who's familiar says, they're going to do great. And then I tell them, you know what? I'm surprised you think they're going to do great because you haven't asked what neighborhood they're serving. I'm surprised you didn't ask uh, how many Latinos are going to be coming to the Chick-fil-A, how many blacks, how many how many whites, and then of those people, how many are poor, how many speak the second language, how many don't speak the King's English, how many are on free and reduced lunch, what's the median income of... See, the folks in my audiences know that places like Chick-fil-A, right, Amazon opens up a new location, they're going to do great. It's because of what they do. It's because of what happens inside the organization. But if I ask, if I said to the same audience, hey, a new school's opening up, how's it gonna do? You know what we're gonna wanna know first. What's the population, the demographic? No other industry leads with that. We not only lead with it, we form conclusions based on it. And I say that as it relates to this episode because if you're not aware of it, the school that I'm, you know, all these general entries are based on was the lowest performing school in the district. The district at the time was the lowest performing district in the greater Atlanta area. We had six years of cycle failure. I was hired eight days before kids returned. We were the hot mess express. My first year, we had 18% proficiency in literacy at third grade, 18%. And so, I hate to say this, but most schools I work with, most leaders I work with, the most teachers I work with, you see those stats? It's gonna portend what kind of year you're gonna have, what kind of years you're gonna have. And granted, you listen to this podcast, that first year was rough, there's no question about it. But I walked in there, I didn't walk in there to maintain the status quo. I wasn't hired there to to manage the situation, nor was was I under any kind of delusion that Things were going to get better because my population was going to change. That all of a sudden the median income was going to skyrocket. I expected the same parents to be there, the same kids were going to be there, and we're going to get better. The school's going to get better because we're going to get better. And so that takes an element of faith, an element of vision, and something that, a word that my my man Principal Kefaili loves to use, intentionality. We're very intentional. So we had a school where the mantra was, we love our babies. We love our babies. And that's good, we did. We loved on our babies, they just wasn't learning shit. They weren't learning. And for whatever reasons that was in place, that had to change. That had to change, some staff had to change, the vision had to change, our culture had to change. We talked about changing everything except our kids and our parents. You know, when we, we made our breakthroughs, we were still 95% free and reduced lunch, 95% poverty. Nothing changed about that. We changed. And I don't hear enough of that in schools. You know, that's why, that's why I believe I've done a thousand planning calls, literally a thousand planning calls over the years in preparation to do professional learning on campuses. If the leader's got two minutes to talk, or 20 minutes to talk. 
You know what I'm guaranteed, 100% guaranteed to hear, whether it's district leader or school leader, I'm gonna hear about your population. I'm gonna hear about it broken down, like specific data. Well, 74% black, 4% poor, the whole thing. And I think it's a shot over the bow to tell me, um, for you coming in with that rootless equity shit, Ken, let me tell you what we working with. Let me tell you this deficit we working with. You know what I never hear about? Staff. And when I do hear about staff, here's the best I hear. Ken, we got a hardworking staff doing the best they can. That's all pity. You don't want that. I mentioned that before. You don't want that. And I never wanted that. I've never sat in pity one day in 31 years in education. I've been frustrated. I've wanted better conditions, but I've never sat in pity. I've never been a victim. And so this was a great day, three days in a row where it's relative calm. And I love that I look back at this entry and the conclusion I draw is, hey, maybe it's the fact that learning is going on in the classrooms. We are, and I'm trying to figure out a way to, so I'm, I'm kind of working it out here like a, a stand-up comic works new jokes out on stage. I'm trying to figure out how to respond to teachers and leaders who come at me with this hopelessness. This happened last week. I can't remember where I was. I think somewhere in Michigan. doesn't matter because it, it happens everywhere. But a teacher raised her hand and she was like, Ken, not only are the kids academically low, but they're also behaviorally low and it's just causing blah, 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 blah. And my perception was she was throwing her hands up. It's like she's throwing, like, I, what, what do you want me to do? I don't know what to do. This is October. Now, I'm 55, man, and the grumpy uncle in me was like, my first thought, I didn't express this, but if I were the principal, let me tell you what I would say as a principal. My next question is, do you plan to resign? Do you plan to resign? And I say that because for every teacher that talks that way, as if the year is like hopeless already, they're not gonna miss picking up them paychecks. And all I'm thinking as a principal is, wait a minute, you're telling me in October that this year is 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 borderline hopeless, but your ass gonna pick up a check for the next eight months? Please, come on now. Come on now. I'll do better hiring second career folks who are working on their alternative certification and they don't know what they don't know. I'll do better with them than folks who are classically trained, uh, got all the paper, got all the competence, but their mindset is fixed mindset. I'd rather take someone off the street who doesn't know shit about education than folks who have all the training in the world and fixed mindset. And that is fixed mindset. And we are the kings and queens of fixed mindset. Otherwise, we would not make sure every conversation includes a specific breakdown of our population. Why do we lead with that? Why do we lead with that? And so I love that. I'm starting to see a difference here and don't attribute it to luck or you know a new set of kids or better parents there's the same ass parents coming in with their house coats and slippers ready to cuss your ass out and at any moment but i wasn't hired to maintain anything i was hired to make a difference 
And I've known from day one, even though I wasn't the most skilled, I wasn't the most instructionally sound, I wasn't any of those things, but I knew damn well the answers are in the room. The changes that are gonna be made aren't gonna be made with our population. It's gonna be made with our staff. And we need more of that. We need more of that. So if you follow my work, you've done work with me, you know one of my hashtags, this is gonna be a title of my next book as well, is start with the crown, not with the kid. It has so many implications. All right, when I first came up with it, it used to be to and through the bar. It was all about grade level or better instruction, how to remove biases, how to remove um, the, the, the pressure of judgment and expectation. You know, how best to ensure high levels of learning for all kids. But Start With The Crown has so many implications. So many implications. And it had it here as well, right? There was a crown I held above of the head of our staff that we weren't going to play the blame game. We weren't gonna play victim. We weren't gonna be the gum on, at the bottom of anybody's shoe. That we were gonna produce results with the talent we have on staff to bring forth the brilliance we have in our kids. That's the way it's gonna be. And then my job as the principal is to be chief hunter-gatherer, to hunt and gather whatever teachers need to make that work happen and then protect and defend the most important parts of the culture. And we gotta get back to that. I'm tired of this fixed mindset shit. I'm tired of teachers sounding like they've given up. I'm tired of victimhood. I'm tired of all that shit. Cause we got way too much training, way too many degrees and way too much talent to be so fucking soft. The last thing I'm gonna say about this and this is for my leaders at all levels you don't have to be a super charismatic leader, but you better be convicted. Nobody wants to follow a damn soft shell, inch by inch, centimeter by centimeter. Nobody wants to follow that. People wanna be part of something larger than themselves, even when they don't know how the hell it's gonna happen. That's what visionary leadership is about. So you don't have to be charismatic, you don't have to be Deion Sanders, you don't have to be Dan Campbell, coach of the Lions. You don't have to be that person. But you better be convicted. My mentor, Rick DeFore, I mean, he had the driest sense of humor. He had the driest sense of humor. He wasn't, he wasn't one for hyperbole. He, wasn't, he didn't have a huge personality, but he was a force. He was a force. And when he stated where we were going, even if you didn't know what... Uh, step two, three, four, and five was, he had that kind of conviction where you packed your bags, bought your ticket, and you got on board that bus. That's what teachers need. You don't have to have all the answers, but you better have a vision. It better be ambitious. It better be borderline audacious, and it better be based on the talent being in the room because teachers feed off of leadership. As tired as I am of hearing about teachers, like I would be, that teacher would be in my office that afternoon talking about, you know, but, but again, it wasn't what she said, it was the tone behind it. It was basically like she'd given up on the years, like it's hopeless. No, we, she'd be in my office, we'd be talking because I feel like I, I would have failed that person. If she's got that mindset, then we're in trouble. And that is all, that off, that all of that feeds from leadership the leader. 
What are you saying? Why are you saying it? How is it gonna happen? Do you make your teachers know and understand that the answers are in the room, that they have the talent, that we're gonna find those answers? Or do you acquiesce to the excuses, the whining, the pity? Pity pervades our profession and we gotta get rid of it and it's gonna start with leadership. Again, I apologize for this episode posting late. Go make magic for kids, make magic for your staff, and remember to always start with the crown, not with the kid. You've been listening to the Ruthless Equity School Leadership Podcast with Ken Williams. For more information about Ken, visit RuthlessEquity.com.